0: Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more to appear as a prospective guest on living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald or to connect with lisa regarding her suite of products and services you can reach lisa at living fearlessly so for now hey our fearless friends here's lisa living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald
1: good morning everybody thank you very much for joining me rejoining me again on this lovely friday morning my name is lisa mcdonald host of living fearlessly with the contact talk radio network listenership spans to 175 countries 220 tv radio terrestrial satellites and the potential for millions of itunes downloads once again we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest so who is my guest of this friday well what i can tell you is andrea owen is an author global speaker and professional certified life coach who helps high achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. She has taught hundreds of thousands of women tools and strategies to be able to empower themselves to live their most kick-ass lives through speaking, her books, coaching, and her wildly popular podcast with close to 3 million downloads. Just wow. Andrea is the proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, which has been translated into 18 languages and is available in 22 countries as well as her inaugural book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS-Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass, and Live the Life You Deserve. Her latest book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength, is coming out in August 2021, published by Tarshay Merigi Penguin Random House. Andrea is a certified professional co-active coach, CPCC, from the Coaches Training Institute, a professional certified coach, PCC with the International Coaching Federation. As she recovers a coach as well as a certified Daring Way Facilitator, a modality based on the research of Dr. Bernay Brown. She holds a Bachelor of Science from California State University in Kinesiology with a specialty in Health Science. Andrea has been featured on the Huffington Post Live, XOJane.com, NBC, and Entrepreneurs.com. Andrea has hosted many workshops for girls hosted by Dove's campaign for real beauty whose efforts inspire and empower women and girls to live confidently and change the world around them. in addition, Andrea has been sober for close to a decade and is active in the world of recovery. When she's not juggling her full coaching practice or writing books, Andrea is busy riding her Peloton bike, chasing her two school-aged children, or making out with her husband, Jason. She is also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane. Wow, is there anything you haven't done, don't do, do you have a day I'm off? I'm tired. Like, it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> that is such an amazing impressive repertoire so welcome to living fearlessly andrea how are you this friday oh thanks for having me lisa i am
2: fantastic i'm excited to have this conversation with you well i'm super excited to have you
1: on and i just want to say uh what an honor what a pleasure and i just want to commend you not only on your sobriety your recovery um, but just the ways in which you've taken everything that you've had to push through, plow through yourself, but you've made it work in terms of paying it forward and being of service to the collective. So the ways in which you continue to show up, not only for you and your family, but for everyone around you in the world, I just wanna say thank you, it, totally impressive.
2: Oh, thank you, thank you so much for that, I appreciate it.
1: So let's start with the inception of your journey because I mean, you, you're pretty multifaceted, multi-diverse mm-hmm. type woman. Um, You wear a lot of hats, you're juggling a lot of balls. Um, When was it that you came into your own in terms of knowing that this was exactly the path that was intended for you? Well, I heard about life coaching
2: way back in 2002. And this was very much as life coaching as an industry that was when it was in its infancy. And I had never heard of it previously. And I told my husband at the time, this is my, my first husband, I act like I have five husbands. I've actually only had two. <laughs> I, still, I still have the current one. But it was my first marriage, and I, I told him, this sounds so awesome and, and something that would be right up my alley. But I do think that to be a great life coach, you would need some life experience. And I was only 27 at the time, and I didn't have a whole lot of life experience. Lo and behold, two years later, the universe delivered. As my, husband, my then-husband and I were talking about conceiving our first child, we'd been married for a few years, we, um, he decided to have an affair with our neighbor, and essentially live a double life and got her pregnant and he left me for her. Oh and I was like, holy shit. Right. And then I ended up dating right away, which I never should have done, but I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have any tools to cope. So I started dating and I met someone who was great, but unfortunately he had terminal cancer. So fast forward about nine months into that relationship, I had gotten a little bit suspicious that he might have a, um, an addiction to painkillers. I asked him about it. He admitted it. I I found out I was pregnant that same week, and as I was trying to get him help, I was kind of trying to stage an intervention of sorts behind his back, and I was talking to his family, and I said, I think that his his drug problem got worse when he started to get really sick with his cancer, and his aunt said to me, oh, honey, he doesn't have cancer, and you're not the first woman that he's lied to about this. Oh, my God. And so God. I'd essentially been conned. Yeah, I'd been conned, and he had siphoned thousands of I was essentially supporting him. And he went away to rehab, and I I wanted to work it out with him because I was having his baby, and he ended up meeting someone in rehab and falling in love with her, and and I haven't seen him since. So, this but that child is now thirteen years old. I'm remarried to a totally normal man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah, they exist, do they?
2: Not drink or do (laughs) drugs, and it's just healthy. And I'm still kind of surprised. Um, and no skeleton. <laughs> it. Um, yeah. And we, you know, we have two children now and, but that moment when I was pregnant and had found out, you know, that my relationship was over and I was still going through my divorce and I was, it was a fetal position on the floor moment in my apartment mm. on the phone with my sister, just saying like, how did, how did I get here? You know, I was 31 at the time. All my friends were having children and having babies and, or, you know, married. And I just was ashamed of where I had ended up, but also feeling like, okay, is it me? Like, <laughs> I know that the the men in my life had done some pretty terrible things, but I had to take radical
1: responsibility for my stuff. And that's really where the journey began. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you being so vulnerable and candid about that because of course, This is always the stuff that I think is more what resonates with the listening audience, because when I when I just talk about the accolades, as I plug in the bio and people see that you're this accomplished and, you know, you're full throttle, you're kick ass, you're all these things. A lot of people think, oh, well, I can't relate to that. And they forget That you're a human being and you're on the human spectrum of emotion and you've gone through things in your life trials, tribulations, and likely continue to. But you have this way of recalibrating yourself, not letting it dictate or or dominate your life. And you've made that work not only for you, but you've made it work for the people that you interface with. So I, I really appreciate for the benefit of the listening audience and the podcast subscribers that you kind of humanized your story there. So thank you very much for that, Andrea. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't ever want people to think that,
2: that I belong on some kind of pedestal. Like, do I have a lot of privilege? Absolutely. I do. And I faced a lot of heartache and it really came down to what it, what did I want to do with it? And I was so blessed that I had the resources to be able to heal. And yeah, and that was all 14 or 15 years ago. So it's been, a, it's been a journey.
1: Absolutely. And so what is it within the laundry list of things that you are accomplished in and the things that you continue to incorporate into your daily regimen, call it business, call it personal, call it whatever, um, what is it that you feel is more purpose-driven out of all the accolades, all the hats, all the titles of the roles?
2: It's hard to, it's hard to pick, but I think just as long as I am staying true to my values and talking about and writing about the things that I find in total alignment with that. hmm in my opinion, I feel that I'm healing, you know, myself and perhaps the generations that came before me, my mother's 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 mother, as I like to say, mm-hmm. as well as as you know the people that come after me. Not just my children, but I I want things to be better than I left it. I mean, I think we learned that in Girl Scouts, like when we learned how to camp, you know. Like yes, <laughs> but that's really what I want, and I, I think that we can't do that unless we're able to also face our own stuff. This isn't about pointing the finger and saying like. Oh, okay, here's how all of you need to get your act together. Mm-hmm. I used to do that. You know, in my twenties, I used to write the names of my friends in self-help books and you know, like, <laughs> she's like this, he's like that. And I didn't want to face my own stuff because I felt like that was too painful and, and you know, just there was so much shame in there. But, but that's, I'm taking a long way to say, um, it, it's just really all of it, all of it. And really looking at your, your own stuff and taking radical responsibility for your behaviors Mm -hmm. that's where there I think the real work is
1: well I wholeheartedly agree with you and subscribe to that and not uncommon that my guests and I have each week we we this tends to surface in our conversations quite frequently the fact that it is an inside job you know and generally what it is we see outside or or the ways in which we're inclined to you know, uh, perceive or in some cases misconstrue what's going on external to us, that's indicative of what's going on within us that perhaps still needs to be healed, still needs to be acknowledged. Still, I mean, you, you know, you have to own your own bullshit first and foremost, correct?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a slippery slope. And I don't know if you've had this experience too, but it's a slippery slope with that and also putting too much blame on yourself I do think that there are, there are some, you know, we show up as, as our best self and I, I do, I believe that people are doing the best that they can. And sometimes that best is crap. (laughs) But you know, like sometimes people behave really
1: badly. Like (laughs) where boundaries have to be set. Yes. Well, and that's true. We're all operating at different levels of self-awareness. And some of us are really, you know, we want to be conscious. We want to be conscientious. We want to deliberately show up. We want to maximize this gift we call life. We don't want to squander opportunity. Um, So there are some people who are of that elk. And then there are other people who, because they're not prepared to do the work, don't want to do the work, don't see the necessity or the benefits of doing the work. They're usually the ones who are on the sidelines, who are pointing their finger, waiting for people to fall or being in constant judgment of others as opposed to going well you know if I really took the time to focus and go inwards on myself I would be too positively cathartically therapeutically distracted in which to even know what's going on with other people because then people get drawn into the comparison trap and and then people you know fall into all kinds of categories of things that are counterintuitive so For the benefit of the listening audience, based on the journey and your own trials and tribulations and what you've amassed for yourself currently speaking for how people would glean you today, Andrea, what would be your central core key piece of advice to the listening audience, to the podcast subscribers in terms of one tip, you know, one thing that's worked for you cathartically that you think would be of service or benefit for the listening audience to also uh, be privy to? You know, the thing that keeps
2: coming up for me as I have these conversations, and maybe this is just a theme in this part of this season of my life, but it's Mm -hmm. about self trust. I think that, especially for women, because my audience is, is largely women, we tend to not trust ourselves. And it can come from, you know, the source of that can come from various Things, you know, maybe you were in a disempowering or abusive relationship before. Maybe you, you know, were taught at a at a younger age not to trust yourself or your reality because of, again, just some kind of abuse or just dysfunction. It doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. even have to be the abuse. And we get to that place where we second guess ourselves. We are constantly seeking the counsel of others, whether it's our friends or astrology not that I have anything against astrology don't at me <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> um, or psychics but I gosh I think that at our core at our in our natural state we are certain we are certain of things and it, it's about finding that combination of, of self-awareness and consciousness and and I'm not a, a super woo-woo person I, I'm yeah. not. I am like I would say like I'm mildly but also some somatic work like are you you know, getting to hang out with nature sometimes? Are you meditating? Are you doing some kind of spiritual work? It doesn't even need to be quote unquote spiritual. Like, are you slowing down to get in touch Mm -hmm. with your body? one of the things that was so incredible to me as I started my journey was how smart and wise my body was. I just thought for so long that my body was an ornament. It was a vehicle to try to get attention from Really everyone, but mostly men, because that's mm-hmm. what I was, you know, raised to think that that my body and my appearance were my most valuable currency. And as I've gotten older, I'm 46 now, I realize like what a terrible lesson that was. Yes. <laughs> my daughter's eleven and I'm trying to teach her a different way. But mm-hmm. it, it goes back to self trust and just knowing that your body is rooting for you and will tell you what you need to know if you pause long enough and trust it to listen.
1: Beautiful. So taking into account what you very kindly generously shared with us at the top of the hour in terms of some of the things where you innately came back and said, like, is this me? Like, you know, why does this keep happening to me type thing? So to me, that's a, a key question because the fact that somebody's willing to own and recognize, okay, if I'm the common denominator of all of my relationships, it's not to play the blame game with self because I don't believe shaming is ever the answer, but it does probe the question of, of going deeper and going, okay, what is unresolved within myself? What is continually wounded uh, that I need to you know, acknowledge? What is the narrative that perhaps needs to be changed? What is the intergenerational cycle of toxicity? and dysfunction that I perhaps have to like start breaking down those cycles of those toxic patterns so when we talk about as you again very boldly and kindly let us know what it was that you went through Andrea what was it within you that made you keep going so that you could find the right partner that you could understand that there are normal people out there normal, of course, being a very subjective term, but in terms of your experience and the contrast of that, um, you know, what was it within you that you thought, okay, I do need to self-trust, but I also don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm going to set myself up to fail again, because I'm maybe cognition, developmentally, I'm not where I need to be to know that I can discern the actual difference between walking into another landmine or by taking a chance, taking a risk and trust, trusting myself, I am in fact going to meet healthier people. Like what, what is that defining line? Like what is that boundary for yourself or what is that level of innate trust that you can still put yourself out there without retreating back into your shell of thinking, oh, here we go again?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes I do do that. You know, like yeah. I'm a human at the
1: end of the day. Like
2: I still fall back on old patterns. And the difference now is that I notice very quickly when I fall into old patterns of thinking or old patterns of behaving, whereas mm-hmm. before it was just on autopilot. And I, I think the thing that has helped me the most, and I don't know if I'm answering your, your question the way you were um, framing it, but the thing that came up for me is curiosity. And this is why I think I was such a huge fan of, of life coaching when I first heard about it, because it's not prescriptive even though mm-hmm. i do tell people what to do sometimes <laughs> but i'm very upfront I'm like this right. is how my coaching style is but just the, the amount of questions asked and learning how to ask an open curious question i think has been one of the most transformational tools for me ever it's not about labeling your behavior or your choices as right or wrong bad mm-hmm. or good it's about just getting curious about it why why was i tolerating Poor behavior from my partners. Why was I allowing myself to be treated like a secondhand um, citizen? Was there something that happened in my childhood? Was it something that happened culturally that taught me that that was okay? Why did I believe that things would get better when the evidence was telling me over and over again that it would not. So again like it, it's it's hard to not go into a place of self-blame like you like you mentioned and say, you know, I'm just a a weak person and I just was stupid. You know, for for a long time my my negative narrative was stupid girl. Like how could I have been so stupid to not no better. I was not a 15 year old girl. I was a grown woman. What happened? And so I really had to learn so much self-compassion along with the curiosity and understand, and believe me, Lisa, like this came with lots of therapy. I didn't just like wake up and I'm like, I think I'm just going to try on (laughs) self-compassion, lots of coaching, lots of therapy and, and really uh, understand and accept that I was doing the best I could with the, the very little to no tools that I had. And I can now look back and, and look at especially those two men that I was in relationships with as the biggest teachers of my life. That to me was the universe handing me a lesson that it was trying to tell me long before that I just didn't want to want to listen. Mm-hmm. I wish that I didn't get to ha- have to be hit over the head. But hey, it makes for really great content in books. And when I'm telling stories yeah. on <laughs> stage, <stations, laughs> people's mouths fall open. Um, but yeah, that it was, it was curiosity mixed with lots of self-compassion is the short answer.
1: Beautiful. Well, I love that you added the self-compassion component because that is so pivotal. That is so key because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your infrastructure support is. It doesn't matter if you're married to the most supportive, you know, partner. Uh, it doesn't matter who your coach is. It's the fact that you're with yourself 24 seven. So you take away the cheerleading team, you take away the, the roster of support you know, you've really got to show up for yourself. And I say this all the time, even in my content, you know, it's a, it's an ad lib, like be your own hero, be your own shero, be your own leader, be your own best friend, because if you can be all that for yourself, it, you know, then then your success, your results, your self worth, nothing is contingent on who is there for you, not there for you, who supports you, doesn't support you, who rises, who doesn't rise. At the end of the day, if you're not rising for yourself, it doesn't matter who else is rising for you so-called on your behalf you got to do it for yourself first and foremost you said something that was also interesting that I think denotes you know a little bit more um, discussion on so when you talked about you well you know I I wasn't a 13 or 15 year old girl I was a 27 year old woman well it's very important that we not I believe get caught up in chronological age because oftentimes when we're talking about deep-seated traumas or scars or events that have shaped us Molded us, whether it be for the better or for the worse, uh, we sometimes tend to get stuck in that chronological age of when that particular event happened to us and then we still play out that narrative regardless of what age we are until we have in fact embarked upon the healing journey and the process so I want to say that for the benefit of the listening audience because there are a lot of people who optically would appear like they're emotionally immature or they lack emotional intelligence but oftentimes the wound that they're still struggling grappling with or they feel conflicted by it's one that took place at an earlier stage in their life that remains unhealed so right. I just want to yeah and I want to say that to you too to to give yourself permission to continually not be judgmental of you based on an age you know specifying no the age. to
2: clarify I was I meant that like my negative self-talk was saying, got it that was my negative self-talk saying you should have known better because you were a grown woman like right. you weren't a teenager like it would have been okay for a teenager that was my negative self talk so yeah. i had to get to a place where i recognized that for what it was i wholeheartedly agree with you we're on the same
1: page with that yeah. <laughs> but and yeah I, my I, and and my as one coach to another as one coach to another i knew that that's what you meant in terms of putting it in the category of your negative self talk but for the benefit of the listening audience who aren't completely immersed necessarily in our realm of what we do and speaking the jargon I wanted to do that as a a clarifier for them good point yeah and you and I both talk really fast so (laughs) yeah we do (laughs) good cadence good way to (laughs) unpack a lot of material in a finite period of time so um let's talk about this book that's upcoming in August and 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 can we talk about in what ways it might be similar or might differ from the other books that you have also equally successfully put out yeah, so my my first book, Fifty Two
2: Ways to a Kick Ass Life, it was it is fifty two chapters, and it's just sort of short wisdom nuggets, sort of a, mm-hmm. a kick in the pants if you if you like that type of of reading of nonfiction reading. My second book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, was was fourteen. Sort of coping mechanisms or habits, if you will, that I saw over and over again with the the women that I work with. There have been um, plenty of men who have read it, who have come to me in my DMs or at speaking events and said, "Thank you for writing it. I, I um, found it very helpful." But it's things like perfectionism, overachieving, isolating and hiding out, people pleasing, those sorts of things. And and it is prescriptive. It's it's like you know, here's here are some exercises to to try to change your behavior. And this book came from from really listening as I always do to my audience and then also looking at what was happening socially. You know, in 2017, we had the Me Too movement and Time's Up. We are beginning to, we as a society, I think, are beginning to open our eyes as to, you know, the culture that raised us. And for women, and like, let me clarify, I feel that many aspects of our culture also hurt men in the way that we don't typically allow men space to feel their feelings and express those feelings True, um, men as weak. And, and it's typically not a positive attribute. We want our men to be strong and powerful and in many ways, stoic. So in for women, we, as I, as I briefly mentioned earlier, we learned very early on that our best in, you know, currency is our body and our appearance and that It is one of our primary jobs to make everyone else comfortable and to be as accommodating as possible, to not make a lot of noise, to not take up a whole lot of space. And I saw this as being the root of a lot of the insecurities that the women, that my clients come to me with. You know, they're afraid to speak up and set a boundary. They're afraid to ask for a raise. Some of it is logistics. They're not sure what to say, but a lot of it is just fear. It's just Mm -hmm. good old-fashioned fear, and so that's how the book was born, is that I, I, I said to myself, I can't keep talking about these problems without pointing out the elephant in the room, and that is the culture that raised us, and that we need to sort of unlearn all of these thoughts and beliefs and behaviors that we've been taught so that we can go out and set the boundaries, ask for the raise, ask for what we want, et
1: cetera, et cetera. Beautiful. And so where can, this, uh, where can the book be found, Andrea? After August 31st, it's um, wherever
2: bookstores, wherever books are sold, also online. And if AndreaOwen.com slash noise, there's lots of free bonuses. We created a workbook because so I ask over 250 questions in the book to the reader. Wow. <laughs> I'm making them work. But no, I respect what I was saying, how much I love questions and I love yeah. people to get curious about their own life and their own behaviors. And so there's a free downloadable workbook so people can, can answer those questions. Um, andreaowencom slash noise.
1: Fantastic. And in light of COVID, I, you know, I know a lot of us were already taking business online pre-COVID, um, but when it comes to book launches, speaking engagements, things of that nature, I mean, things are starting to lift. Things are starting to open up now as a, as a result of how many people are now getting vaccinated. So mm-hmm. are, are you going to be back in bookstores doing book signings? Are you going to be back on the global stage in actual venues and and providing the normal previous ways in which you conducted business or is it still going to be online primarily? God, I hope so. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I miss people. I miss
2: being around people. <laughs> I yeah. have a couple of speaking engagements coming up this year and that are in person. And, you know, it's interesting. The publisher said that it's too early. You know, you and I are having this conversation in June and they said, just hold off. We're not sure about in-person book events. I think the bottom line is that it's going to be a mixture of both um, online and in person, but I'm definitely going to go in person where I can. For sure,
1: San Diego. That's where I'm from. So I'll be out there at a Barnes and Noble. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on all of that. And um, do you already have, a, although this book has yet to be launched, because I know you're A type and your imagination's always going and you're, you know, perpetually curious. Is there another book inside of you right now that is also going to be birthed at some point? I have three, actually. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's exciting.
2: Well, I guess It is I exciting. Ago, I was going to be a career author and the universe was like, "Okay, here." So I've I've wanted to write a memoir for forever because my story is so dramatic. And every time mm-hmm. I tell it, people say, like that's a lifetime movie script. and um, <laughs> But I don't know how to write memoir. Memoir is different. It is definitely its own craft. And yes. it's, it's different than nonfiction self-help. And I, I feel like I can write a nonfiction self-help book in my sleep. But um, memoir is different. So I've hired some writing coaches who are helping me develop this craft, which I'm excited about. And then I, I'm I'm mildly obsessed with the topic of power and how it has to do with women, and that came from writing "Make Some Noise" because I write very briefly about it. There's a chapter about money, and I felt like God, I can't talk about money without talking about power. And yep. and I started asking around, you know, my friends and my women friends and colleagues, like, "What is your relationship with power? Like, how do you feel about power?" And the looks on their faces, they kind of were like, "Huh." I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, or I've never even defined that for myself. Mm-hmm. Or they typically have a negative connotation to it. So I'm, I'm kind of doing my own research and, um, and just reading other books on it. There's not a lot. So sometimes that points to that nobody wants to read it. <laughs> and sometimes it's an untapped market. So we'll see. And then there's another one that I'm, I'm thinking about that's just um, similar to 52 Ways, like a short motivational book again, because I love those.
1: Ben? Fantastic. So, if the question were to be posed to you as opposed to you putting it forth to other people, what is your answer to that, Andrea? Either specifically, generically, without giving too much of where you want to go with the direction of the book. What is your answer to what does power mean to you, particularly in relationship to money?
2: Well, I mean, money is currency, right? It's the currency that we use for just about everything. And the people who have the most money have the most power. I mean, no one, Mm -hmm. no one can argue with that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in that particular chapter, it's, it's part of it is people getting down to the bottom of their relationship with money. I think a lot of us have complicated dynamics with money. And so it's, it's, it's about that, but it's also about looking at what you grew up learning about money, I, I tell a very short anecdote in there about how my first introduction to a woman who was wealthy and who was also self-made was Cruella Deville when I was five or six mm. years old. You know, every other woman had either inherited money or married into it, or maybe she was a widow. Um, but I didn't know anyone who was self who was self-made and, and was wealthy except her. And she was a terrible human being. <laughs> Because she was the absolute worst, and some people say, "Like, well, oh, it's just a movie; it's just Disney. Like, does it really matter?" And it does. Like, these are the things that shape us and create these subconscious beliefs about what it means to be wealthy, what it means to make money. Um, so, sort of getting to that. But in terms of power, you know, I I grew up in the United States where power was primarily in the hands of men who mm-hmm. were older. And I didn't see a whole lot of women that had power. And when I did, they typically weren't very nice. And they Mm -hmm. weren't doing fantastic things with it. Um, You know, of course, we have people like Mother Teresa and Princess Diana. But Mm -hmm. just there was this very specific sort of avatar of, of what that looked like in terms of leadership. But I really love the work. Um, I don't even know if you would call it work, but Brene Brown talks about, and I don't, I think she's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm certified in her work and she's just fantastic. And and she has a PDF. If anybody is interested in it, if you just Google Brene Brown power with PDF, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she talks about power with versus power over. Mm. And the definitions are so important, I think, for people to not just read, but to understand completely that power can look different than it currently does. So that's a very long way of me saying my mild obsession right now with power is, is how can I help people create more of it in their own lives, basically share it and mm-hmm. to me, that's what empowerment truly means. It's not just about empowering yourself, but it's helping other people empower themselves. Bingo. I don't even saying that I empower women. I don't. They empower themselves. I just sort of like point to things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. The, traffic, the traffic director. And so they can empower themselves. Like
1: that's, that's how I like to talk about power. Love it. Well, and that's really what it comes down to, I believe, in the realm of leadership. It is about empowering other people to empower themselves, uh, giving people the tools in which to be successful on their own so that they can do what they learned from you, which is pay it forward, you know, get it going down all age groups, all demographics, all people from walks of life, you know, Um, because the more empowered we all are, the more we truly show up as a global community. We want to not only thrive in, but we want to be the example for what we want our children and our children's children to embark upon and see that example and know that it can be done and and know that we can be cohesive. And, 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 you know, regardless of men, women, whatever, getting away from all of those labels and just, you know, embrace it. Call it abundance. I don't care what colour your skin is. I don't care what you come from in terms of homelessness or intergenerational poverty or whatever. We know the people who have lived through... Uh, the times in their life where, I mean, Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey, all of those things, I mean, once upon a time, they were not the giants that they are today, but they believed in themselves, they latched on to where they could get the lesson, where they could get the role model, where they could get the teaching, and they made it work for themselves, and they made it work for themselves in such a way that it just energetically transmuted and caught on with everyone else, and now it's like, yeah, okay, thanks for being that tangible walking, talking, breathing example, because if you could do it once upon a a time for what you came from humble beginnings or worse then I can do it you know like that's what it's all about and um, I was going to go off in a different direction oh, I think it was Jack Canfield I had on my show um, so CEO founder of the whole chicken soup for the soul series empire and I believe it was him and he said you know in terms of people's relationship with money if if you were an asshole without money you're going to be Mm-hmm. Ma- magnified as a bigger asshole with money, and 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 conversely, if you were a nice, kind, generous person with money, that's just going to magnify and intensify your ability to continually dole it out and be of service and be generous and uh, you know and be philanthropic and all of that with money so it is really changing the paradigm on, on what we think about. And you're quite right. It is currency. Currency is energy, you know? So if you're going to hold yourself to a certain standard or level, when it comes to self-worth, self-esteem, self-perception, all of those things, you can't exclude money. It's part and parcel of it. So what does living fearlessly mean to you, Andrea?
2: Well, gosh, um, that's a big question i well, first of all, i think and 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 i I'm sure you agree with me, like everybody has fear um it's It's really what we do with it, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, you know do you want to let it rule your life and be in the driver's seat, or do you want to use it as information mm-hmm. so living fearlessly for me means a lot of what I wrote about in in this book is, is making noise. In my opinion, women's empowerment is an act of rebellion because we are pushing back on, on a lot of society's sort of, you know, proverbial boxes that they have tried to put us in and, and, and for men as well. And, and I think that living fearlessly is about, it's about making noise. It's about standing up for yourself. And, and mm-hmm. I know that sounds very cliche in our industry, but boundaries, geez, boundaries are hard. Boundaries, I feel like are PhD level <laughs> personal yes. development, when you can set a healthy boundary and boundaries are not being aggressive, getting in someone's face. They are not an ultimatum. Um, it, it, it's a hard conversation is what it is. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, but I don't like conflict. And I, I try really hard not to roll my eyes. Like <laughs> nobody likes conflict. Like if you, if you like conflict, you're an asshole. Like, I don't want to hang out with you. If you are someone who's like list of hobbies, conflict, no, <laughs> stop saying you don't like conflict and, and call it what it is. It's a hard, it's a hard, uncomfortable conversation
0: that's yeah. going to make
2: your stomach hurt. And it is necessary. And typically these hard conversations are no more than five minutes, but we make them out to be this humongous, you know, hours long conversation. And usually they're not. Are you still there?
1: Here. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know why I can't hear you. There, okay. You there, Andrea? Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, you know, it's funny because I think it was like three weeks ago to a month ago, I put something up on Oprah. So of course, everybody, I mean, everybody knows Oprah, but she's like, you know, from that show, you get a car, you get a car. Well, yeah. I uploaded this name. It's like, you get a boundary, you get a boundary, you get a boundary. <laughs> and it's so true because, you know, boundaries are indicative of how we see ourselves and how we choose to show up to the world in the ways in which you know you do have to respect me you you know this is this is my line that I draw in the sand and I can get along with anybody and you know I'm here about being solution focused and, and solution oriented and I'm about inclusivity and everybody has a potential seat at the table but at the same time there comes some Accountability and some ownership with that, so if you 're going to just show up for the sake of being an asshole i 'm sorry you 're not welcome at the table
2: mm-hmm. yeah, and you know I want to talk for a second about being on the receiving end of someone setting a boundary. that is difficult too. I was just having a conversation with a girlfriend this morning, and she was telling me that one of her um, one of her former colleagues, who was a dear friend, blocked her on social media, and she 's like i don 't know what I did, but Clearly, she's you know setting a boundary, and I told her I said that sucks. That that feels crappy, especially when you don't know what it is that you you did. I, I do think that we need to give people the opportunity to clean up their messes, whether, mm-hmm. whether they do or not is is not up to us. But I'm not a fan of just blocking people and not telling them <laughs> what um, telling them what what they did to to hurt you mm-hmm. or why the boundary is being set. But at any rate, like it it it's hard on both ends and that but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it 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 really mm-hmm. is about giving someone the benefit of the doubt that they are going to be able to manage their feelings around it Absolutely.
1: Well, and I see things from all perspectives. So if we're using with the same example of the blocking and stuff, I think a lot of people play dumb too, right? A lot of people want to see to what degree Mm -hmm. they can get away with stuff without being held accountable, without having to take ownership, you know, and it's unfortunate that people sometimes get pushed up against the wall where it's like, you know what, we really didn't have to go this way. This didn't really have to be like a last resort that had to get implemented. But if you take me seriously in every other aspect of the ways in which i was imploring you like let's work through this let's solve this or whatever at some point you've got to draw the line right because exactly uh right because people will, you give an inch people will take a mile and then it gets played out in gaslighting and people play dumb oh i don't know why that happened really really mm-hmm. <laughs> well maybe maybe that's a, maybe that's a barometer of why we shouldn't coexist in the same realm of energy or whatever because if you need to have certain things explained to you um, that's enough for me to know that we're better off arms lengths, right? Exactly,
2: loving right. you from over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: way over here, absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> some, so be- sometimes it's the other side of the country. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. So, being cognizant of time, I want to give you the opportunity as well, Andrea, for anything that I may not have asked you, but would be equally, you know, imperative for the listening audience and the podcast subscribers. You know, something that people may not know about you, something that you want to share that perhaps I didn't ask or invite you to impart to the listening audience. Is there something specifically that you would like to take advantage of making mention of? We can talk about getting sober if you want. Yes, absolutely. That's helpful to
2: audiences.
1: Well, you Uh, know what? I I thank you for, for touching upon that because, again, with the pandemic, We know, and I used to work in crisis management, senior management, social services, and we know as a result of COVID, all those types of social type issues, addictions, abuse, all of that, it's skyrocketed as a result, uh, suicide, everything. So uh, this is a real timely um, opportunity, I think, to specifically hone in on that subject matter. So I'll leave it to you to go.
2: Yeah. I I appreciate you branching out and touching on those other topics as well. And, and, and just briefly, you know, I'm someone who has diagnosed anxiety disorder in 2003 and also has, I had severe postpartum anxiety with my first child to the point of mild psychosis, which was Mm -hmm. terrifying. And, you know, I've been in places where I've had suicidal ideation and that scared the absolute crap out of me. And So and also, you know, my father, who passed away in 2016, struggled with anxiety and depression. And he was born in 1936, where they did not talk about such things. I think that he always struggled his whole life. He was a a sweet, sensitive, kind man, Mm -hmm. who also had, you know, some emotional stuff. But, uh, you know, I I come from a legacy (laughs) of mental health challenges, and also from a generation where we did talk about more things, and I, I was more open to not just getting help and asking for help, but talking about it publicly. And I I really have, I wouldn't say no shame about it. There's a tiny little bit of residual every once in a while that that crops up, especially around my sobriety. But all that to say, um, I found that my drinking was becoming a problem when I was I I got some help for codependence and love addiction and mm-hmm. those behaviors, you know, were pointed out by my therapist and my, after my life fell apart, that was one of the things that I was tackling and, and felt so much better. And my, I was moving far, far away from the symptoms, but that was right around the time where my drinking picked up. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, uh, you know, my dad got sober when I was 18 and I knew what it looked like to be a high functioning alcoholic, to kind of hide and be able to hide it still. And nobody would know. And so I, I quit drinking and, and dove into recovery in that. And I, I think that the thing that surprised me the most was that it was never about the drinking. It was, right. it was about the running away from my life.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I, I think that surprises a lot of people in recovery. I was never... Physically or chemically addicted to alcohol, either. Some people ask me, like, oh, did you get the shakes and have withdrawals? And I had none of that. Mm-hmm. I just was emotionally attached to the experience of drinking. And drinking was just my last symptom that I was hanging on to because it allowed me to walk away from the pain that I was too afraid to face. And every night or afternoon, I should say, I'd start drinking around four o'clock. And found relief for a handful of hours until the next morning, where it would start all over again. So I say that because I, I and I think the conversation is shifting. You don't necessarily have to identify as a quote unquote alcoholic or a drug addict or have a chemical or or process addiction. True, it can be just that. Like, what are you what are you doing to quote unquote take the edge off? Because I think the edges need to be examined. The edges sometimes are are just plain old stress, but sometimes it's more than that. And that's the, those are the things that I want people to get curious about and look at and talk to their therapist about, or their partner or their best friend or whatever it is, because that's what I had to do. And like, please believe me, Lisa, when I tell you, I was absolutely terrified to actually rip the covers off of my life as Mm. open as I am about things. I was not ready for all the pain and trauma I was about to uncover and I didn't die. Um, it hard to walk <laughs> through it. It still does. Yeah. But I trust myself so much more and like saw my own humanity in many ways, feel like I finally came home to myself.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, again, congratulations. It's now a decade. Is that correct? Or are you approaching September
2: 27th? It'll be 10 years. Yeah. Woo-hoo! Since I had
1: a drink of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Do you, I mean, this might sound like a, an insensitive way of phrasing it. Do you miss it? It's not
2: insensitive. I think it's a really, it's a really important question to touch on sometimes, but I, I really only miss the experience and the, also the experience that I make up that I'm missing. So in other words, when I see, you know, a group of women going to Vegas and having so much fun, like I miss that. But what I'm really missing is the connection and the fun. I don't miss the hangovers. I don't miss the expensive cocktails. <laughs> I, don't, I don't miss the bad choices that I made. And I certainly don't miss the big loud mouth that I had where I s- continually said the wrong thing or flirted with someone's <laughs> husband a little bit too much. I don't miss any of that. But um, sometimes I miss the taste, but I love Topo Chico lime flavored. It reminds me of drinking Corona and I'm just fine with it.
1: Okay. <laughs> You're hilarious. Well, and and I think too, because, and we touched upon this in different ways throughout the segment of this interview, um, you know, jargon is so key. So rather than I mean, because when you hear about addictions, oftentimes that becomes um, synonymous with so-called coping mechanisms. When really it's it's escape mechanisms, mechanisms, right? Because when we're embarking upon that, it's not like we're looking to cope. We don't want to cope with an addiction. We're 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 heading down addiction lane because we're escaping. So I call I refer to it more as escaping mechanisms, escapism mechanisms.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And you know there's there's evidence that shows that that people who struggle with addictions tend to have some kind of neurodiversity. That's why I think it's so hard for people who don't at all struggle with addictions to understand what we go through. And they think that it's um you know some people think it's a it's a moral failing, you know, why are we choosing to be this way and it's complicated. It's it's super complicated. And, and we don't have to go down that road too much, but, but I really, I agree with you that it's, it's, it's a way of just, for me, the way I always describe it, what I always go back to is I was just trying to run away from my life because I was too terrified of what I was going to see. Mm. Mm. And it worked for a little while
1: until it didn't. Until it didn't. Yeah. Until it didn't. Well, I just want to say that I'm really grateful for the choices that you came to make within yourself on your own and understanding how much yummier your life could be, knowing that you are a gift in itself. And you've just got so much to give, so much to share, so much to impart to the collective. And for what you were able to unpack here, Andrea, with my listening audience uh, in a finite period of time, we covered a lot of ground and I'm really Really grateful for the gift of your time. Um, I really appreciate to what degree you were so revealing. Um, You opened yourself up. And again, this is part of the demonstrated leadership. You know, if I can do it, you too can do it. Let's get away from not trusting ourselves. Let's get away from shaming ourselves. Let's get away from the things that we know are counterintuitive that don't serve ourselves because life is so, so short. And, you know, we don't want to do it playing small, we don't want to do it escaping. We really just want to like live and, and embrace the gifts that we've been given, including the fundamental core gift itself, which is life. And for what you've amassed for yourself, for the life lessons that you've learned and committed to the process of unearthing for yourself so that you truly could show up as your best version of self for the rest of the world, your clients, the people who you know, read your book, resonate with your book, your subject matters, your, your talks, your everything. I just want to say good on you, Andrea. Thank you for staying the course. Thanks for doing the inner work and, and thanks for being you.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. That was so, so kind. And I'm going to take that and put it in my back pocket. I appreciate it. You put
1: that in your back pocket, you put it in your bra, you put it wherever you want. Andrea. I will. <laughs> So I just want to say thank you once again. And to the listening audience, I too want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule, for joining myself and my phenomenal guest of this Friday, Andrea Owen. Uh, I really encourage you to play back what she said. This is the great thing about podcasts. You can, you know, when you're shopping, you're doing whatever, you can multitask, you can put things on pause bring out a pad of paper and a pen, take notes, incorporate what Andrea's had to say, or even better yet, reach out to Andrea. She's a wealth of information. And of course, you only got a little sliver of that in today's podcast interview. So I want to thank you very clear, exceptionally clear on my purpose, which is to uplift you to fear less and to live more until next Friday, when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest, I want to wish you all my very best love and gratitude to all of you and to you as well. Andrea, thanks so much.